Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. All right. Well, welcome. I know it's a little crowded, but surely you can find a seat. <laughs> yeah, practice social distance. Three seats between each person. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it just is a reflection of how fast the world can change. Like Wednesday was Bible study, there was no talk of it really, and here it is Sunday and the world is a different place. And, um, you know, I love the, the music, the songs that April chose for us to sing today, and just the reminder that no matter what's changing in our world, God is unchanging, and uh, we can count on him. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you this morning knowing that you hold the world in your hands, that there is nothing outside of your sovereignty, including the things that are happening in our world today. And uh, so much we read about in the newspapers that happen in other places, and now things are happening here at home. And Lord, we um, again are reminded of our need to trust you, that we cannot put our trust in anything else, that everything else is shifting sand. But when we build our faith, when we build our trust on you, that that is a solid rock. You are the solid rock. So, Lord, we would just ask that as we open your word, that you would remind us of things that maybe we've learned before but have forgotten or haven't taken action on, and um, for new things that you're bringing to mind, that we would remember And, Lord, that we would act on the things that we remember about you and that you would um, be our our shield, our protector, but also that you would be the way forward for us. So we thank you for your word and for the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through covenant, and uh, if you've been following along, we um, have been looking at covenant as... uh, the covenant of God as he gave us in creation and then as he gave us the covenant um, after the flood with Noah and promised that uh, the world would not be flooded to that degree again where the world would be destroyed by the flood, that that would not happen again. And, and we have the, the rainbow, or as God called it in his word, the bow in the heavens, um, to remind us of that, that he is an unchanging God. And when he says... Um, something, when he makes a promise, he keeps his promise. Unlike us, even if we sometimes intend to keep our promise, often are not able to. And so God is not like us. He is um, keeps his promises, and he certainly doesn't make a promise that he doesn't intend to keep. And so is the case with covenant. And so he makes this promise to Abraham, and we've been looking at the Abrahamic covenant, which we call the covenant of promise. And that promise was that there would be one who would come, who would be a blessing to all families on earth. 
and that um, through the seed, through Jesus Christ, would come salvation to all who would believe. And so um, Abraham clung to that promise, and it was tested, like whether he had the belief system to hang on to that. And so we do go through times of testing. Example, what we're going through right now. We go through times of testing. We go through health issues. We go through financial pressures. We go through relationship problems. We have times of testing, job loss, all kinds of testing that happens to us. God promises to keep us in all trials and in all temptations, but he does allow tests to come that really strengthen up our faith. So the, the test is not as it pass fail. The test is it's sort of like gold. You test it. In other words, you're um, making it more pure. And so our faith is tested in the sense that our faith, as we go through these trials, becomes more and more of a pure faith as the Apostle Paul talks about it. And so the promise is given, do we believe, is the question. And so now um, it's going to, Abraham is actually um, still alive in these early years that we're going to be talking about Jacob and Esau today. But uh, through most of Isaac's life, Abraham is still alive. The promise is still there. And so um, it's not till towards the end of Isaac's life that God even ratifies the covenant of Abraham with Isaac. And if you remember, these three men are actually very important. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many times they are referred to, and it's really a reference to this covenant of promise. Every time you see those three names together like that, it's a reference to this covenant of promise of what God will do. And so um, it's not just like, well, you know, the promise was made to them and and so on and so on and so on. It's actually something very specific to these three men. And it is the covenant of promise, and it's different than when we look at, when we will be looking at the old covenant. So this covenant of promise that's given to Abraham um, is going to be reiterated with Isaac. But before that happens, um, Isaac's, remember last time we talked about Isaac, it was the true love story. And he meets Rebecca and they fall in love like he's in a field and they come slowly dancing towards each other and embrace each other and get married. It was totally like that. And so um, they get married and then they hope to have children. And they wait and they wait and they wait. So he gets married when he's, Isaac's 40 years old when he gets married and it's not until, and he's praying for children all this time because the covenant is going to be passed through the, through the children. So how is God going to pass on this covenant if Isaac doesn't have children? And so um, he prays and he prays and he prays year after year after year. And it's 20 years before God answers his prayer where Rebecca is pregnant. And so um, Rebecca's now getting on too. They've been married for 20 years and finally she's pregnant. And But it's not an easy pregnancy and things are all um, in a turmoil inside of her. And so she goes to the Lord God and she asks the Lord, you know, why is it such a turmoil? Like, why is this pregnancy so difficult? Is it because I'm older? Like, what's going on? And God actually speaks to her and he says to her, the turmoil is in you because you actually have twins. There are two and they are 
two people, and they are raging against each other. And you will produce two people groups out of you, and they will be at odds with each with one another. But God promises that um, that she will have these two nations that are in her womb. There will be two nations, but he promises her that she will be um, able to birth two healthy um, children, and th- but that the older will serve the younger. Totally not how their culture was. It was always the older was the important one. Um, the older one had more responsibilities and also had more given to them. And um, that's how it always was. And that was called the birthright. So when she had the children, sure enough, one was born and then the other one right after. So the first one to be born was hairy all over, and he had red hair. And so she called him Esau, which means red. And um, he was born first, and then grasping his heel... Right on, on, you know, just as he's coming out, so does Jacob. But he's hanging on to the heel, and they name him Jacob, which means heel. Like we've always understood it to be supplanter, which is what it means. But the literal translation is heel, which means um, in its understanding that he's a supplanter or the one who will, you know, take over, like he will get rid of the first in order to take his position is the idea behind that. And so Esau comes, but like seconds later, there's Jacob. And so she has these two sons and they're raised together and, you know, they, they wear different clothes because Esau is, looks different. Jacob is quiet. He stays at, at the home tent. He likes to cook. He likes to hang out with his mom, whereas Esau likes to go afield. He likes to go hunting you know, gophers and ripping their tails off like little boys do. And uh, I don't know if little boys do that anymore, but they certainly, I know that you older guys did that. I know it. And so um, he was a hunter, and he liked to be out in the field all the time. And so they were very different in their likes and in their interests. And because of the game that he would bring home, um, Isaac favored Esau. He loved Esau. And because Jacob stayed and he was quiet and he helped his mom, Rebekah loved Jacob. And so you have in this family sort of favoritism of the father towards Esau and the mother towards Jacob. And this was the family home. There were no other children that came to Isaac and Rebekah. And so the boys grew up, and Esau actually got very skillful at hunting. And uh, he was um, always out in the field and always doing um, what he loved doing. But anybody who's gone hunting before knows that, um, you know, once you, you get your game, that's when the work begins. And it's hard work to bring the game from the field, to dress it in the field and to, to get the whatever it is that you've hunted Um, to get it back home again in good shape. Like, it's a lot of work. And when Esau got back, this one time when he was hunting, he was very, very hungry, and he could have eaten a bear. And so uh, when he comes in, Jacob's sitting there, and he's been cooking away, and he's made a delightful stew. And uh, Esau comes in, and he says, He says, I'm starving. I'm going to die. He said, you have got to give me some of that stew. And so he calls it red stuff, 
which is, you know, red again. And so he grabs the stew and, and Jacob says, hang on first, because Jacob is a little bit of a sneaky guy, he says, first, sell me your birthright. Now, we don't really do birthrights in our culture. A birthright was very significant in this culture, in the culture of Jacob and Esau. And so what a birthright meant was it meant several things. One was the birthright meant it always, well, usually, it went to the older one. And um, you could lose your birthright if you did something terrible, which is why Reuben didn't get the birthright. So if you did something terrible, then you could lose the birthright. But generally speaking, it went to the oldest. And so it meant that you would get a double portion of the inheritance. So you're going to get, you know, the inheritance is divided up. And uh, so in this case, it would be sort of divided three ways. Two portions go to Esau, and one portion would go to Jacob. That was the plan. So they get a double portion, but the idea behind it was that they also became kind of like the priest for the family. They became the one who was responsible for the family. So if anything went wrong, it, it always was deferred to the oldest brother, and they had a responsibility to do something about that. And so um, they not only had the responsibility of taking care of all the family, but they also had the responsibility of making sure that people, you know, stuck with the ways of God, um, their faith, like they would be the main faith person in the family to bring, um, you know, whatever their faith practices were and uh, really um, oversee everything. And so they had uh, more stuff, but they also had a greater responsibility. And so when Jacob wanted the birthright, really he was saying that he was willing to take on that family responsibility. Remember these boys in their minds, they're the same age. Like it's, you know, seconds difference between their age. And so to him, this was valuable. Whereas Esau said, <laughs> no problem. It's considerate sold. And so he gets, um, he sells the birthright for, you know, a pot of stew. And um, he eats the stew. And significantly, he doesn't then say, oh, what did I do that for? He doesn't even think about it. He has no second thoughts. He doesn't care that he sold it. In fact, to him, getting rid of the responsibility is a load off of his mind because he likes to be out in the field. He doesn't want the responsibility of all the tents and all the stuff. Like Abraham was very wealthy, and Isaac, as a result, he's very wealthy. They have lots of herds. They have lots of everything. So they've really been raised in a wealthy lifestyle, and he's thinking, I've got it good. Why do I need that responsibility? So he has no second thoughts about having sold his birthright. And Jacob now is actually has the birthright. So um, we see that it's after this, after this birthright happens, that we had, you know, I told the story the last time of how Isaac, um, you know, there's a famine and he went down to Gerar and he was going to go on to Egypt and God said, no, don't go to Egypt. And that's where God said to him that I will take care of you and I will bless you. And um, he ratifies the Abrahamic covenant with Isaac. So these two boys are older like they'd probably be in their teen years somewhere. And I'm, I'm assuming at this point that it, 
it would be right around here that Abraham died, because he died when the boys were 15 years old. So it would be somewhere right around here that this happens. So the covenant is probably ratified with Isaac at the death of Abraham. And so Isaac now is the possessor of this Abrahamic covenant. And God says to him at the beginning of chapter 26, he appears to him, he says, don't go down there. He says, stay here, I'll bless you, and I will give you many descendants, and I'll give you all this land to you and to your descendants. Um, the oath that I gave to Abraham will now be yours. Your descendants will be as the stars of the heavens, all the lands will be yours, and um, the nations of the earth shall be blessed, really through the seed, the seed that will come. And so, because Abraham obeyed me, God said, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, I have, am keeping this covenant now with you, Isaac. And so, Isaac now is possessor of the Abrahamic covenant. That is a different thing than the birthright. So, there's going to be three different things that happen. There's going to be the covenant with Abraham, there's the birthright, and there's going to be a blessing as well, the father's blessing. And so all these three things are not the same thing, and we often get them all confused and sort of blended together, and they're not the same thing. And so Isaac, um, you know, it, it carried on. I won't do his story, but uh, the boys get older, and um, Isaac gets older. And in fact, he lives a long time after this incident that I'm about to talk about, but in his mind, he's old. Have you ever met people who say, oh, I'm going to die any day now? And they seem to keep on living for a long, long time. So he's one of those kind of people. And so uh, he's getting old. But, he's, but he can't see. He's, he's blind. He can't see very well. He's very dimly. And um, he decides, you know, I've got to get things. I've got to do the, the blessing. Now, the blessing is another thing. So we've already dealt with the birthright. That belongs to Jacob. And I'm not convinced that Isaac knows that this happened between the boys. So um, Rebecca, she probably does because of her closeness with Jacob. And because she also was given the promise that the younger would serve the older when she was pregnant. And so I'm thinking that may be one of the reasons why she favored Jacob so much, because she knew that he would be the favored one by the Lord. And so um, after um, you know, Isaac decides that he's getting old and that he's concerned about dying, he actually lives another 80 years, but that's beside the point. Um, and he's concerned about his, uh, his, um, his kids. Now, Esau has done something, and it's interesting that he does this after the ratification of the covenant with Isaac. What he does is he goes and he marries two Canaanite women. And remember, he's not from a polygamous family, um, but he commits polygamy. And so he marries these two Canaanite women. And um, it would be totally part of the family culture to not do this. Because Abraham was told by God 
that the Hittites, the Canaanites, you know, the Hittites are part of the Canaanite people group, um, that they would get worse and worse and worse and more and more sinful. And God would give them 400 years, but in that 400 years, instead of repenting, even with prophets in the land, they would become worse in their sin until God would bring the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt and settle in the land. But 400 years prior, so to Abraham, he says, the Canaanites are going to be kicked out. And so the Canaanites were not a godly people, nor were they ever going to repent according to the prophecy of God. And so the Canaanite women were off bounds, really, to Abraham and his descendants. And yet after, you know, as he gets older, as Esau gets older, he decides, oh, I think I'll marry Canaanite women. And if one's not enough, I'm going to marry two of them. And so he marries these Canaanite women, and it says that they gave grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And the understanding there, it's over faith issues. They're not just kind of, you know, I don't want to help clean the house. It was like over faith issues because the Canaanites worshipped many gods and um, they had all kinds of terrible worship practices associated with that. And so they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. However, it's not enough for Isaac to kind of write Esau off. He still wants to bless Esau. And I think his hope is that he can kind of get him back into the the fold here. And so he says to Esau, you know, I'm getting old. I can't see. I'm going to die any day now. So I want to give you my blessing. Now, the blessing was something that a father passed on to a son of his choosing. So it didn't necessarily go to the oldest, although it often went with the birthright, um, but it could go to any of the sons. And so he decides, of course, Esau is his favorite, so he decides, I'm going to bless Esau. And so he tells Esau, go and get the game that I love. I love you know, the food that you bring home, because by now, Isaac has become a little bit of a man of his stomach. And so he says, go and get the game and bring it home, and I'll eat the game, and then I'm going to bless you. And so Esau goes out into the field, and of course, Rebecca, this is a tent. I don't know if you've uh, been at camp. You can hear everything that everybody else is saying when you're in tents, um, cabins, thin walls, any of those things. And um, she overhears what's going on. And so now she knows, ah, it's the blessing. And of course, she wants Jacob to be blessed. And so she says to um, Jacob, she says, your father is about to bless Esau. And that's just not going to happen. So what I want you to do, Jacob, is I want you to take in the stew. I'm going to prepare some stew. Go get two goats from the herd. So that one's easy because they're just outside. So go get two goats from the herd, and I'll make a savory stew just like your dad loves. And you're going to take it into him, and you're going to get the blessing. And Jacob says, well, he's going to bless Esau. How am I going to do that? And Rebecca says, I have a plan. And she says, you are going to dress up like Esau. And your dad, because he can't see, he's going to think it's Esau. And Jacob goes, I can't do that. And Rebecca says, oh, yes, you can. And Jacob says, well, you know, I'm smooth-skinned. And, you know, Esau, he's the hairy guy. He's like, there's no way. Dad will know right away. And then it'll be even worse because Dad will curse me. And Rebecca says, no, she says, 
bring in the goats. So they bring in the goats, kill the goats, make the stew, and she takes the goat skin and puts it on Jacob's arms and also on the back of his neck. So I guess Esau's like super hairy. <laughs> That's all I can imagine. So like hairy as a goat is what he is. And then she, she brings out his best outfit because he always keeps his tuxedo in the closet at home. He doesn't wear that out in the field. And so she brings his best outfit and uh, tells Jacob to put on Esau's clothes. So Jacob puts on Esau's clothes. He puts on, you know, the, the hairy goat skin, and he takes the stew into his father. Now, this doesn't happen instantly, but it's still a lot faster than going out hunting and then bringing back the game and doing all this stuff. So Isaac goes, whoa, that was fast. How did you do that so fast? I was like, I was just nodding off for a minute, and here you are with the stew. And Jacob says, well, you know, God really blessed me, and he gave me the game right away. And um, he says, who are you? Are you Esau? And he says, yes. He says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. And he goes, hmm, I don't know. You kind of sound like Jacob to me. And he says, no, no. He says, I'm Esau. And Esau, or Isaac says, come a little closer. My, what little teeth you have. <laughs> and so he comes a little closer. And, you know, who would have guessed? He grabs the back of his neck and brings him in. It's like, oh, it's hairy. And he feels his hands and he goes, oh, it's hairy. And he says, and he smells his coat and it smells like Esau. He says, well, you smell like Esau, you feel like Esau, but you don't talk like Esau. Maybe you aren't Esau. And Jacob, of course, confirms, oh, no, I'm Esau. And so he says, okay, well, he eats his stew, and he's all happy, and he puts his stew bowl aside, and he says, now, my son, I will bless you. And he puts his hands on him, and he gives him the most wonderful blessing. He says, may God bless you greatly, that, you know, the rain will come down on your fields properly, that you will have lots of herds, and there will be many blessings, and also that your brothers will serve you. And God will bless you in every way. And he gives him the, father's, the father blessing to Jacob. And, of course, he gives him everything that he can think of that's good. And Jacob is now blessed. And so he goes out to his mom and he goes, Can you believe it? It worked. And he's all pleased. But all of a sudden they see Esau coming in from the field. And Esau comes in to his father. And uh, he says to his father, Father, I'm ready now for your blessing. And this is where Isaac's heart sinks to his stomach. And he goes, what? Who are you? And Esau goes, I'm Esau, you're firstborn. Like, you're not that gone, are you? And Isaac just, like, you can just see him trying to reframe everything that's just happened. And he goes, if you're Esau, then who was that that I just blessed? And now Esau goes, what? You blessed? And he knows right away it's Jacob, of course. And he says, you've blessed Jacob. Not only has he stolen my birthright, stolen, uh-uh, 
Remember what happened? Esau didn't care. He despised it. Not only has he stolen my birthright, but now he's also stolen my blessing. And he's incredibly upset. And he cries before his father and he says, Oh, father, surely you've got blessings still for me. And Isaac says, No, I gave him everything. Your brother has everything. And in fact, you're going to serve your brother. And Esau says, no, this can't be. Can't you just even think of a little thing that you can give to me? Just a little thing? And Isaac is searching his mind. And he says, no, there's nothing. I've given everything to Jacob. And Esau says, no, father, surely, surely there's something. And so Esau comes up with it. And finally he says, or Isaac comes up with it. Finally he says, well, he says, let me give it a try. So he puts his hand on Esau and he says, Um, it's not going to go very well for you. It's going to be hard. You're going to find life difficult. Wait, Dad, that's not a blessing. And he says, and it's going to be, you're going to have, you know, the farming's not going to be so good. You're going to be running around trying to make meals, and it's not going to go very well for you. But he says, in the end, you're going to be able to cast off the yoke of your brother. That's it. That's all you can come up with, Dad? That's it? And that was all that Isaac could really say, was that life would be difficult for Esau, but in the end, he would be able to throw off the yoke of his brother, which you know now he's under because of the blessing. And so um, Esau kind of, he has to live with this. Can you imagine how you would feel? Sometimes things happen to us that it's not right. It's just not right. Jacob did deceive. He, it was a total deception on his part. I believe that God had great plans for Jacob anyway, but Jacob took things into his own hands. And we see these lessons that God is teaching us through these two young men. Two big things. One is that Esau, he despised the blessings of God. And when it was actually taken away from him, that's when he decided he wanted it, but it was too late. And sometimes we're not content, and that lack of contentment will come back and bite us in the end because we have much to be content about, and Esau certainly did. And so um, he learned a very, very hard lesson, but we can benefit from it. We can benefit from the lesson that he learned. The other thing that we see is that God had blessing intended for Jacob, and yet Jacob was a grasper. He wanted everything, and he wanted it now. He listened to his mother to deceive his father. He's the one who did the deception. He could have said to his mother, no, I'll wait. God will surely bless me because I'm sure that he will. He could have waited, but he didn't. And really, he becomes what his name is. And and so often in the scriptures, names go with um, events or with circumstances, much more than just like a family name. And so he really did fulfill his name of being supplanter or deceiver or heel. He was a heel. And so um, these are some of the things that we can learn from their story as we watch them and we see what happens. So now we have these two boys that have grown up that could have been so close and supportive, and yet from their birth, they've been at odds with one another. 
but they are both born of Isaac. They are both born of Abraham. And Abraham's family is going to be blessed regardless. And so we see Esau now is thinking, what am I going to do? And here's a big one. Esau, it says, holds a grudge. And this grudge is going to get him. This is going to be a grudge that he's going to hold for many, many, many years. And a grudge, it doesn't hurt the person to whom it's against. It hurts us. Because what happens is bitterness builds up inside of us. And we start to see the whole world as being against us. As everything always, it always turns out badly for me. And we become bitter. And that's what we see in Esau. And he says, he's so bitter about this, that he even says it out loud to somebody. He says, I'm going to kill him. Like, seriously, I'm going to kill him. I don't care that he's my brother. I'm going to kill him. We'll be out in the field someday, and he's not coming back. And his mom overhears it. And she takes it seriously. She knows that Esau means it. And so she says to Jacob, your brother's going to kill you. I heard him. Like, you need to go away until he cools off. So, like, hopefully it'll just be a few days. So go up to my family up in Paddan Aran, which is in the north country, north-north. And my father's family is there. My brother's there, etc. And you can stay there for a while until he cools off. And when he cools off, I'll send word to bring you back again. And so um, Jacob, in the middle of the night, has to pack up and leave. He's got the birthright. He's got the blessing of his father. But he has to leave the family because of what he did. And it didn't have to go that way. And sometimes we make choices that cause such a rift in our families. And we're going to see um, how his story will come around. But Sometimes it takes years, and there are many, many families who have these kind of rifts in their families. It does not have to be this way. It certainly does not have to stay this way. But it takes humility. It takes humility on the part of the first party to go and apologize, and for the other one to accept the apology and probably to also apologize. And so um, these family rifts, and I said to my girls when they were little, and, um, you know, I have friends who are, um, you know, they're the only one in their family, and so they don't get sibling rivalry at all. But I, on the other hand, was raised with a lot of brothers, and I understand sibling rivalry and how important it is to keep those family relationships going well. And I said to our, my girls when they were little, our girls when they were little, when they would have a fight, I would say to them, don't assume that you'll just forget about it and go on. Like these little fights that happen when you're younger can turn into big things as you get older. And I, I know there are many of us who suffer under that kind of a thing that's happened. And there are rifts in the family that started when we were little children. And so those things can actually be resolved because God is the one who heals relationship. He's the restorer. He's the redeemer. And he can redeem even those difficult relationships within family. Who else do we get so angry with than those that are closest to us? And so um, we're going to see what happens, but it's going to take a while for Jacob and Esau. In the meantime, 
Jacob runs away. And now he's in exile in a sense. And he's up um, and he runs up uh, towards the north country. And on his way, um, as he leaves, um, his father, before he leaves, his father calls him because Rebecca goes to Isaac and she says to Isaac, you know, we're so unhappy about Esau's marriages to these Canaanite women. They cause us so much trouble. And that's all that's around us is all these Canaanites. So let's send Jacob up to Paddan Aram to my family and we'll get a wife for him there and then he can come back. And so um, Isaac thinks, oh, that's a, a great idea. So he calls Jacob in and he places his hand on him and he blesses him again. And he says, bless you, my son, as you go and you find a wife and that you will come back and that you will be um, really um, fertile and productive and that you'll have children. And so he, he really gives him this, his blessing as he goes. And he says to him, um, may you also have the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants. And so he's not, he's not totally passing on the covenant here yet. That's going to come. But this is what he asked for. So Isaac sends Jacob away. Well, Esau hears this too. And he goes, my parents are mad about the Canaanite women. And now they're sending Jacob off to find a woman from mom's family. And he goes, instead of coming to his parents and saying, you know, I did wrong, I'm sorry, is there anything I can do to make it right? Instead of doing that, you know what he does? He turns around and he decides, oh, I'll get me an Ishmaelite woman. I'm going to go marry one of the daughters of Ishmael who were at loggerheads, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael is Isaac's older brother by 14, 15 years. And Ishmael was sent away because he treated Isaac so badly and he was called a wild donkey of a man. And although God would bless him in terms of giving him many descendants, he wasn't blessed by God as a follower of God because Ishmael never loved God. And um, he disappeared into the, the nether regions of the south. He, he lived east of Egypt. And so instead of reforming, Esau says, I'm going to go and find a wife from the family of Ishmael. And so he does, and he finds a wife from the family of Ishmael, which just makes everything a thousand times worse. So Jacob, um, he's on his way, and so he's got a long ways to go. So he's leaving where his father's household is, down near where the Philistines live, near Gerar, and he's moving um, to go up to the north. And so it takes a while on his journey. And he stops at a place called, a city called Luz. And he lays down there for the night because it was nighttime. And so he's going to wait until the, the next day to carry on his journey. And um, he finds a stone for a pillow. <laughs> like those two words really don't go together, stone and pillow. But anyway, he puts his head down on this stone um, to sleep that night probably with his cloak in between there, I hope. And uh, he has dreams. And he dreams that there's this ladder that comes down from heaven. And on this ladder, he sees these angels going up and down from heaven, coming down to earth, and, and then they're climbing up the ladder, and they're going back and forth. And of course, remember, angels are messengers from God. So these are messages from God that are coming up and down 
this ladder. And up above the ladder, he hears this voice of God. And um, he sees God standing up there in his dream. And the Lord says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth. Same thing that was said to Abraham. And you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Wow. And he wakes up and he says, oh, that was some dream. Surely this place is something else. He doesn't say God is something else. He just says God's here. He's in this place. And his whole focus is on the place. And he takes the, the stone that his head was resting on. He puts it on a, like on another stone makes a bit of a pillar, takes some oil, and he pours it over. It's like an altar. And he names it Bethel, which means the house of God. And he says, surely God is in this place. Now, somehow when we read that, we think, oh, this is a good thing. But when I read the whole story, when I see the whole story, I feel like Jacob acknowledges God He's certainly a God follower, but he doesn't really understand that God is a personal God. He cares about me. He cares about you individually. And it's not about that place, even though God, yes, did appear to him there. But his whole focus is on the place. And when he leaves, it's like God was in that place at Bethel. And so... He, um, you know, that city was renamed from Luz to Bethel, but he made a vow to God. And this is why I think this is because of this vow that he made. So he says, now God has just promised him everything. He said, I'm going to be with you. He doesn't say, if you do such and such. God just says, I will be with you. Wherever you go, when you go up, when you come back, if you go to the east, the west, I will bless you. Wherever you are, I will bless you, and I will make your descendants great. And he uses the same stuff that he says to Abraham, but listen to what Jacob says in return. He makes a vow to God, and he says to God, if God will be with me, if God will be with me. Didn't God just promise? And yet now Jacob turns it into an if. If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey. So if God, if you keep me, I get up there and I come back again um, on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. God just promised all that. And I return to my father's house in safety. God just promised all that. Then, then, and only then, the Lord will be my God. Why doesn't he hear the promise of God? Why don't we? Why don't we hear the promise of God? How many times does God tell us there is one way of salvation through my son Jesus Christ whom I gave to you who died on the cross, was buried, rose again, proof 
that his sacrifice was acceptable to me, that there is a life in Jesus Christ. How many times does he tell us this? And yet we say, if, if you love me, then maybe you will do this. If you show me these things, then maybe I will follow you. If you make it really easy for me, then I will do what you want me to do. It's no different than Jacob and what he's saying here. And so he's saying, if God is with me, then he will be my God. But not right now. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that thou dost give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. I'm thinking that he's taking that from what Abraham did with Melchizedek. That would be part of their family story. And so here is Jacob making this promise, the if-then. And I just think, you know, any time that you say to God, if, think again. That is not a good thing to say to the Lord. Because the Lord has made these promises to us. And so from here, we're just we're going to leave this story now. And we're kind of hanging in the middle, but we'll come back to it. So he's going to go up. And he's got sort of this, you know, if-then relationship with God in his mind. Although in God's mind, even if Jacob is saying that, God is saying, I don't care what you say. I'm going to bless you anyway. And we're going to see the faithfulness of God in spite of what Jacob's like. That's what God's like. That he loves us. And when he chooses us, he it's a promise that he's made forever he keeps his promises and when he says you are mine i will not desert you he means that he will not desert us and he loves us um, with an everlasting love esau on the other hand reacts in disobedience like jacob is different than esau and we see a huge difference have you ever seen that scripture jacob have i loved but Esau have I hated, or the other way around, Esau have I hated, Jacob have I loved. Have you ever seen that? Well, we're going to talk about that the next time and what that means. Because it does have actually great significance. And it's not just about this, because here we see both of them not being as great as they could be. It's not like Jacob's any winner, although he does have more of a following after God than Esau does. But both of them really have some major flaws in their character. And God's going to be working on that. And he actually works on it in both of them. And the same thing with us, for sure. We all have major character flaws. And the Lord is slowly and patiently working with those things. Is there animosity? Is there unforgiveness? Is there feelings of discontentment? All these things, the Lord is at work in us. We may be guilty of them, but that can change by his great power because he loves us. And his love is an unconditional love. He doesn't say, well, if you get your act together and if you change these things and if you're not so discontented, if you're not so unforgiving, if you're not so harsh, then, then, Life will go well for you and I will bless you. No, God loves us. And when we go through trials, and we will go through trials, he says that he will keep us through those trials and we will come out of it knowing that he is a faithful God, that he is a loving God, and that when he makes promises, he keeps them. So let's, 
Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we do thank you, for you are a great God. You are sovereign over all things, and you have blessed us abundantly. Open our eyes again that we might see your blessing. Help us not to be discontent with our situation, with our relationships, but instead to know that you are the great healer of all relationships that are broken, that are um, causing us anxiety or fear or anger or maybe grudges. Lord, help us to give all of these emotions to you and to trust you, to have faith in you, that you will change hearts, our heart as well as the hearts of those around us. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would learn how to really, truly believe you, to act on the belief that we have in you. And Lord, um, may we be a faithful people, that we would walk uprightly, and that we would be a blessing to all around us because of your great blessing on us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless, keep safe, and healthy.